This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. Whiz Bang Science brings science to life in exciting shows and hands-on activities for kids and those who are curious at heart. The show currently doing the rounds is called The Unbeliever Bubble Show, providing a fun, interactive science experience to help with STEAM learning. Whizbang Science is based right here in the Waikato, in Patararu to be exact. My name's Emma, <laughs> Emma Lucas, and I'm the founder of Whizbang Science. Um, now, my background is um, science communication. So I actually lived in Perth for about eight years where I worked at a science centre in Perth as part of their outreach department. And um, the centre was a not-for-profit organisation and our department used to travel right across the state of Western Australia from the very tip to the very bottom, um, taking science shows and events um, to the community and predominantly into schools. So we used to cover the entire state um, basically, we aimed to see every child once every five years. So if anybody knows much about um, Western Australia, it's a very, very large state. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that, those were quite, uh, quite epic undertaking, undertakings. We'd go away for sort of three or four weeks at a time and I'd go to uh, some quite, uh, quite interesting places. So when I moved back to New Zealand um, and into the Waikato with um, my young family, I, you know, that's what I knew how to do. And I saw that there's a bit of a gap, um, unfortunately, here within New Zealand for that kind of outreach um, in, in the science or the STEM or STEAM context. So, you know, listeners might have heard of STEM or STEAM being thrown about, especially in the last couple of years. I think um, a lot of the general public have had quite a, quite a thrust into the scientific um, limelight with obviously COVID and daily updates from scientists and all that kind of thing. So STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Math, or you can call it STEAM, which is the one that I actually prefer, which slots art into that as well. Um, so it's just a bit more of a holistic approach to science and how science actually spreads over and technology and engineering and math all spread into you know, the wider context of our daily lives. So, um, yeah, that's what I knew how to do. So I thought that I would start up a little business here um, and predominantly focusing on community outreach rather than schools. I do now also go into schools quite a bit, um, but it's just a different atmosphere being able to engage with the general public in a show versus a school environment. Um, I really enjoy grandparents, aunts uncles, uh, you know, that cool family friend that's taking the kids out for, for a morning to do something different. 
and the kids themselves because you've obviously got a varying age range in one audience rather than in a school setting where everyone's sort of all the same age. So, yeah, it's, it's been really wonderful um, to see how the communities really enjoy the shows and the activities and that engagement. Now, that's a huge transition to have made from um, covering uh, Outback Australia, really, uh, communities there, and coming to the relatively compact uh, Waikato and New Zealand context. Um, but do you find it is quite similar, the challenges that young people face in terms of becoming engaged with STEAM-related topics? Um, look, I think, you know, people are people. Um, and for as much as we have our differences, depending on where we live, um, whether that be, say, rural versus urban, New Zealand versus Australia, um, you know, we also all have a lot of similarities. And I think in terms of science engagement, you see similar sort of stereotypes come through across all those contexts, you know. We're still trying to sort of break down that idea that, you know, scientists are the people that, you know, wear glasses and have lab coats and, and potter about in a lab, blowing things up and losing their eyebrows, you know. I mean, look, that is an exciting part of science, and lots of scientists do still do things like that. Um, but, you know, it's actually just bringing it into a more broader context and making it relevant for people. Um, you know, one of the things that I really like is when you see somebody, whether it's a young person in the audience or an older person in the audience suddenly go, oh, I never thought about baking in the kitchen with my kid being science or as being scientists when we're doing it because science is a, pro you know, it's a process. Being a scientist is just finding answers to questions in the world around you. So it actually does cover everything that you're doing. I mean, you know, I'm more likely to make the challenge to somebody to say, well, find me something where you're not being a scientist. Find me something that doesn't actually involve some sort of science process. So, no, I don't think there's a vast difference in those two contexts from sort of outback Australia to here. I think the barriers we're breaking down are very similar, but I'm also seeing a lot of progress over the years that I've done this. I mean, I've been doing this now for over 10 years, and I'm definitely seeing a lot more engagement across the board, community level and in schools, um, with STEM and science. Loads of primary schools have their own um, science blocks now, you know, where they actually are doing science in school as a very hands-on approach. Um, they'll have a specific teacher that delivers science right across the school program. So, um, I mean, I think stuff like that's really wonderful, yeah. I guess it's good to be diversifying from uh, the understanding of science, um, certainly from my age group, I'm in my mid-30s, um, and we, when we went to high school we had a science lab, but it was still all about um, Bunsen burners and beakers and, um, uh, you know, um, Punnett squares and everything like that. But yeah. uh, being able to connect science to... Um, basically applying science to to reality and to people's everyday lives and the interactions they have throughout the day and the tasks they carry out. Uh, that's basically what you're working on. Yeah, and I see that happening across the board for some other, um, some other organisations. I mean, early days I worked with a group called Puna Wyoda who operate um, out of the Waikato or were, or were at that time, and they were... Um, 
delivering programs to secondary schools, so Rangatahi in the area, and they were doing sort of like big science events where the kids were coming in and having a dabble. So they were bringing in, you know, industries as well. You know, it's it, obviously in the Waikato, you know, with a with a milk basin for the world, really. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a, we've got a lot of scientific process and background going on here all the time. You know, New Zealand in general, we've got lots of export industries that are huge around the world. Um, and just being able to, as you say, connect those dots to how does my how does my Bunsen burner and my litmus paper that I'm using in year 13 actually connect in what my, with what my dad's doing, milking the cows on the farm? Well, the, there is loads of connection there. So, um, you know, and I do, as I say, I do think there's other organizations now that I'm seeing coming, coming to light, coming forward, that science um, being pushed outside of the school context and bringing other people in. So, you know, getting a professional in from somewhere, you know, like a, a water treatment plant, for example, or somebody like myself who's obviously a bit broader and who is just trying to sort of ignite a bit more curiosity and a bit of a, that excitement in there. You know, we do sort of do a bit more of the, the whiz-bang stuff, the flashy-in-the-pan type stuff that can sort of draw someone in, and then, you know, we can talk a little bit more about process. So, yeah. What are some of the challenges that young people tend to face at the beginning in terms of accessibility to uh, applied sciences, I guess, to start off with? Um, look, I mean, this, I suppose it might come as a bit of a surprise in terms of, you know, my business and what we're doing and other organisations. I think actually a broader issue that a lot of young people face, especially in the schooling system, is losing a love of learning. I think that they can spend a lot of time feeling quite pressured into being good at science. Oh, you've got to get, you know, obviously they're all trying to move move through and, and, you know, some of them are going to want to go on to university or a trade and go further when they come out of school. And some people aren't. Some people want to go on and be professionals like hairdressers and all those sorts of um, careers as well. Um, but I think the pressure can can build for our young people and make it seem very unobtainable and they lose that love of learning. In my opinion, personally, I kind of feel like it's not what you come out of school knowing. It's what you're able to go and find if you want to. Um, and I think that that spans beyond science um, into, into just learning in general. And we have to do a bit of a dance with our young people into, you know, showing them that being applied and, and, and succeeding is good but also if they're not proficient in something that that's not something to feel um, down about is to find their strengths and move towards those as well so I mean in terms of science directly as you asked I mean I think a lot of schools and a lot of the education system are doing far more applied stuff now than they were in even our day you know when we were back in school 10 15 20 years ago um, so I think the opportunity to engage is there. But then, you know, we also still have socioeconomic issues. Um, you might have two parents out of the home and all those sorts of things that lots of New Zealanders are unfortunately experiencing at the moment with things being quite tough for a lot of New Zealanders. And that can really, um, that can really hinder sort of that outside engagement where, you know, we know that students will do better if their parents are involved in their education. Now, that doesn't mean that they're, you know, rushing down to the school every five minutes and saying, oh, what's my kid learning? But if you've got a parent that's 
taking their child to, say, a science show on the weekend, that parent's obviously engaged in the topic and the education of the child, and that child's likely to have a better outcome going forward. Um, so it's also just being mindful of that. And to be honest, my business, coming from a not-for-profit position um, where I worked in, in Perth, I, it's something that I've struggled with, and I struggle with daily, weekly with my business, is that balance between obviously running a business um, and, and having to provide for my own family, but also making it accessible. I don't own science. I can't copyright it. It doesn't belong to me. So my opinion is is that, you know, it's my, it's my duty, in a sense, to be able to make it accessible to the general public. Um, I have a reasonably large family. I understand that if I take my family to the zoo, that's quite a big um, economic output for our family to go and do that event. So when it comes to ticket prices and, and the other things that we offer, we do really try and find the balance between running the business and making it accessible for as many people as can be. Um, another example of that within the business is when we go into schools. Lots of businesses, and I completely understand this, will run um, a minimum child number um, that they'll need to um, reach before they can come out and visit, say, a school. Could be 100 students. Now, in the Waikato, we've got hundreds of beautiful rural little schools that have, you know, student roles of 34, 35, 50. Um, and to me, I think, well, are they less deserving to have the opportunities offered to them than a big Hamilton school that's got 600 students? So we don't do that. We don't cap our shows with a minimum student number. And, you know, we offset that by seeing larger schools or doing bigger community events. They allow us to go and offer the programs we do to the smaller schools as well. Now, you talk about how you run it as a business rather than a not-for-profit, but um, it, are, are you, how, is, how is that sustainable in terms of um, all, all of the um, outputs you're providing for young people? Um, are you... Are you almost a not-for-profit sometimes, effectively? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. Um, but, but it does balance out. Um, I mean, with, uh, I, you know, I myself personally have, do have a young family still, so my, my time is quite limited. Um, and it is something that I have um, thought about investigating and looking into is actually turning my business into a not-for-profit. Um, instead of running as a, you know, a for-profit business. And yes, look, there are days where we'll go out to a smaller school or an event that maybe doesn't get as much traction um, as other events. And, and the overlays are still there. You're still having to pay for a venue. You're still having to pay for marketing that you've already done. Um, you know, I would personally never cancel a show whether 10 people turn up or 100 people turn up. Um, you know, for me, these are also just... Uh, it's a small business feeling its way through the business world, you know, um, and I'm not a businesswoman necessarily. I'm a scientist. <laughs> so, you know, there are some days where it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it is running at a loss on that day. But overall, um, as I say, you know, we have bigger events that turn out and we sell out. I mean, we did the school holidays recently, um, and that was our first proper big full community event since, you know, the pandemic that shall not be named. Um, and it was wonderful. We had sellout shows. We had sellout shows in Havelock North. We had sellout shows in Tarpaul. We had sellout shows uh, in Mount Monganui. So, you know, those sort of events then um, provide the platform for a little more leeway in some of the other experiments that we might do, which might be 
something as simple as going, well, what if we offer this during the week in a school holiday? You know, is it going to have the same traction as offering it at the weekend um, and other things like that? So we sort of, I roll with the punches, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So how um, do your shows normally progress? Do you have sort of a fixed choreography or is it uh, changed to suit the particular audience? Um, the current show that's running our Unbelievable Bubble Science show, I mean, that one is has been running for a few years now. Um, and it can be tailored slightly different. The only time we would really change that show is when we go into school and you've got, um, say, a junior audience, the younger kids, they might be five, six and seven, um, to the upper end of the primary um, age group. You know, We would tailor that show slightly differently, um, make it slightly shorter for a younger audience because if anyone's out there that's got kids of that age, they know that asking them to sit still for 45 minutes is a pretty big ask. Yep. <laughs> um, and just changing some of the engagement, the, the show progressions and the segues through the show. Um, I mean, obviously it's my show and I think this, <laughs> I think they're quite tidy. <laughs> so they lend to being able to come down at the beginning of the show and keep yourself there for the younger audience or really go into that progression through the show where we start to talk about gases and more intricate things for an upper primary level and really sort of stick there and, and nut that out. So it's got that flexibility with this particular topic in this particular show, um, which does lend, I suppose, to challenges going forward developing new content. It does take a lot of time and energy to produce a show. And then I think I remember um, when I first was learning to be a presenter with, with science shows, one of, our, um, one of my instructors at the Science Centre said, it, they'd read somewhere that it was it takes 60 times presenting something 60 times to really get it kind of getting good <laughs> yeah. so that's, you know that's quite a development process um, and if you think about the timings that's a lot of man hours plus the development of the show um, so we would like to add more programs in um, times just a, a factor and as I said before you know we just still like many businesses getting our feet um, back on the ground after COVID and, and being in a business where, you know, you fundamentally normally run to hundreds of people in a room, um, it was a very challenging time for us. Um, so we're still just trying to suss out how the public are going and what they're after out there. But early indications would say they're uh, still pretty interested to come out and see us. The, cu the current show you have going, as you said, is called The Unbeliever Bubble Show, and we've seen some of the, um, the pictures of that online on social media. Um, yep. And it looks very, very exciting to a person of any age, to be honest. Um, so how does it proceed uh, from the start? Is it, is it centred on bubbles at the very beginning? So the whole show really follows the science around bubbles, and I suppose when... When most people think of bubbles, they might automatically go to a soap bubble, you know, the bubbles you might blow with your kids. Now, what we do through the show is we start there. We start with how soap bubbles are made, you know, the fact that you're stretching water to trap air inside. And then we progress through to, well, the shape of a soap bubble. Is anybody, you know, can we change the shape of it? What might we need? And we do some experimenting there. It's all very um, interactive as well. So part of the... Part of the um, the appeal, I think, with the show is it's, it's very asking questions, getting the audience to answer. You know, if they say to us, oh, well, could you try more soap? 
well, we put more soap in, you know, and if they say, well, more this or do it standing on your head, you know, we do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we try to do it. Um, and so we progress through from the soap bubbles moving into, you know, other places where you see gases or air trapped inside things. I mean, a balloon is a bubble because it's got air trapped inside it. And if we can change what's inside or, or on the outside of a bubble, can we change what's on the inside? Can we change the gas? So then we progress through into doing some experimenting with some different gases. And, um, you know, there may or may not be uh, an explosion or two uh, at the very end, which usually gets everybody, including the dads, um, really involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So it would be interesting experimenting with different types of gases of different weights and things like that. And it would be a very, as well as a hands-on experience, it's a very, a very visual one. And interestingly, uh, I mean, gases are not generally visible. So the students are learning that, you know, sort of uh, physical matter isn't necessarily visible and uh, yeah, it has different properties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the end part of our show, the last sort of third of the show is very much about that. Um, and it's just nice that using bubbles as a, you know, as a conduit for that conversation is, as you say, it's visual. You know, we can't see helium, but if I pop it into a balloon, we can sort of see it because we can at least see its properties with what it's doing to the balloon. If you put it in a soap bubble, again, we can view that and see what happens. You know, if you're using carbon dioxide, same sort of thing. You can you get a visual on some of the properties around the gas. And obviously hydrogen, which we also use, um, uh, that gives quite a good visual as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we think the show's been really, really well received in a lot of different contexts. Um, across the board from communities to schools, um, which is probably also slightly hindering our desire to go forward and bring another show in because um, <laughs> this one just, is just so great. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What sort of reactions do you get from the, the students and do you have any um, uh, contacting you afterwards um, out of interest? Um, yeah, uh, look, we, we always send feedback out if we go into schools. We have some lovely feedback from teachers and things that, you know, say similar things to what you've sort of said yourself. It's that, it's the engagement, it's the wow factor, but it's also the kids feeling like they've walked away knowing something. Kids will always come up, and adults after the show, um, you know, the presenter will make themselves accessible to have a chat um, with, with the audience afterwards. If anyone's got any questions, we're happy to answer them. We want to know their favourite part of the show, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, something that stands out from the last few community events was we went to, when we were in Taupo, um, and we had a lady come up at the end, and her daughter had come up and volunteered uh, partway through the show. And she'd come up fine. Uh, she'd given me her name. She'd, she'd done the experiment, and she'd gone and sat down. And the mother came up afterwards, and she said, I'm completely blown away. She is so shy. She has never done anything like that before. She's never put a hand up, never come up to do anything. I don't know what you did, but thank you. <laughs> and, you know, something like that was just so lovely. I mean, I didn't notice anything with this particular little girl at the time. She didn't seem apprehensive to me. Um, but she obviously just felt engaged enough that she wanted to be in there. You know, she wanted to be in the action. And I obviously wasn't scary enough to scare her off. So. <laughs> So that's also a good thing. So, you know, when you hear things like that, it really kind of makes you feel like, you know, the show's doing what we want the show to do. The presentation and the offering of it is, is also doing what we want to do. And it really does give that feel-good factor to keep going forward and, and bringing this out there. 
Yeah, in the case of that girl, her um, her curiosity had been piqued so much and her brain was, you know, because I, I always think of how children, their brains are like sponges and once you get something that they want to absorb, they just want to suck it all up and they want to have yeah. complete knowledge of it and they want to be able to tell adults about it who might not know the information that they know. They want to show how much um, sort of critical analysis they can have of and what they see as an adult topic. But um, it's a topic for everybody to be able to understand. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, bubbles are just one of those magical things that it doesn't really matter how old you are. And I see this a lot with, say, a teenage audience, which are usually a tough crack um, to, to get in with, with certainly the year nine students and upwards. But you know, you get a mixed age session and suddenly the older kids are there and they're having a go. They're making bubbles. They're trying to do some of the things that, you know, we do in the show. They might try and put a bubble in a bubble and all that kind of thing. And they're just as engaged as, as the five-year-old that, you know, they're mesmerized by them. Um, so, yeah, it really is a lovely medium to use um, for science communication. It really is. Yeah, wonderful. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add at the M in the, at the moment in terms of um, upcoming uh, events or um, how people can get in contact with you? Yeah, so we've got, um, we're running our Unbelievable Bubble Science show at the Thames uh, War Memorial um, Civic Centre on Saturday the 26th of November, so that's uh, not tomorrow, that's next weekend. Uh, we realise that's a big weekend for the Coromandel because they've also got Beach Hop on. Hopefully we might uh, might see a few people through there um, if they're in the neighbourhood. And then gearing up to Christmas, um, we're, there's a few sort of um, community events coming up. We've got the Cambridge Autumn Festival um, in March next year, so you'll be able to catch us there. And other than that, I mean, if, if somebody out there is running an out-of-school care programme, they want something different to come in, or they're listening from a school, um, or they're a teacher and they're thinking, oh, that could be great for Term 1 next year, um, if they jump on our Facebook page, they can message us through there, or they can contact us um, via email. Uh, we're just whizbangscience at gmail.com, and that's whiz with a double Z. Um, so, yeah, we love to hear from everybody, um, even if it's someone in a school doing science stuff and they want to touch base with me and, and get some information as to how they can do a bit um, more in terms of engaging science in the classroom. I'm always open um, to hear from people and, and give people a hand if they need it um, because, you know, it, it's wrong not to share the tricks you've got up your sleeve, in my opinion. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikato. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook or find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.